What's up, everybody? This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I listened to every single episode again. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are coming to you. It's a little bit different since it's the holidays. We're going to do a look back episode, look back over the year. Because if anybody knows every single episode, it's us. (laughs) So who better to tell you what you missed, what we thought was cool, and what we've been doing? And we've been doing other stuff besides illiterate. Mm -hmm. Evan, what do you have? I have a little treat for some of you guys. So, you know, often we we cover the writer perspective here, the creative perspective. So, uh, you know, we don't talk about this kind of stuff a lot, but we are creatives. And I was lucky enough to finish a short film I've been working on for a couple of years with a great group of people that I would love to share with the illiterate audience. So you can check it out in our show notes. It's called Luna Fish. There'll be a link to it there. And the password is lowercase Luna, L-U-N-A. This is where you got to get the password. Otherwise, nobody will know. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, But I'd love to share that with you guys. It's hot off the presses. It's brand spanking new. Super, super proud of it. And we'll see what happens with it next year. Lovely, yeah. Send it out to people. See what people think. So I'd love for you guys to check it out. Taylor, what you got? Please, yeah. Check it out. I also have been writing, but I wanted to share something pertinent to our audience because what I'm working on will not come out for a while. So Mm -hmm. there's no point in and saying, look yes. at something. There's nothing there. But Deep, um, deep in development. I won't even <laughs> bore you with the other things that you'll never know for a long time. We're working yeah. on things, but the, you know. But what uh, what is coming out, I have a uh, weekly newsletter email, mm-hmm. very short, very sweet. But if you like my research style and things that I find in these episodes each mm-hmm. Friday also, you will get an email of articles, books, life experiments, cool things on the internet that I was curious about It looks really good. It looks really slick. Um, I'm excited. (laughs) So subscribe to that if you want a little bit more curiosities in the week. That's what I'm doing. So first up, we're doing a little bit of a look back. We both picked a couple things that we were really uh, taken with or surprised by. And just off the bat, the most shocking moment, I think, of the year was when we were covering (laughs) A.J. Finn and Daniel Mallory for Woman in the Window absolutely jaw-dropping revelation that the story behind the author is a complete fabrication. <laughs> so we'll play that here. Terrified now, Taylor. Well, hold on to Are your you boots, giving yeah. us the anti... <laughs> well, here. <laughs> oh, no. You're a smart man. Hold on. Uh, strap in for the ride here. Once this book came out in 2018, The Woman in the Window, astute readers noticed there was another novel that had come out in March of 2016. was not nothing a bestseller on Amazon, 120,000 copies, called Saving April by this Mm. gal, Sarah Denzel. Again, talking about copyright and intellectual property, both feature anxiety-ridden middle-aged female narrators afraid to leave their homes. They witness something suspicious, spying on the neighbors. But the problem is they have nearly identical plot twists. And here's the spoiler stuff. There's an unhappy married couple with an adopted teenage child across the way. Both birth mothers are neglectful, except one is a boy and one is a girl. It's a girl in the other book. The narrators are racked with guilt over a car crash that killed their family. Police discount their accounts. The teenager is a manipulative psychopath and attempts to kill the woman across the way. I'll post a link. There is an exhaustive list of similarities in plot going through both of them. And so astute readers were like, hey, this, barring the writing quality or whatever you think about that, it's like this is uh, pretty much copying here. Sarah never took action, though, because, again, it's too thin, even with all of that, to support an infringement claim, because these are often also tropes of 
tropes of thrillers. Right. So that's kind of a, a chink in the armor here. Is this really the most amazing thing we've ever seen before from a debut author listed on the New York Times? The big problem that comes out after this, a year later in 2019, a journalist oh, no. had been digging and doing more research. They're making this movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, oh, God. An article, <laughs> an article came out in The New Yorker. It's almost like a mini book, so I'll spare you the details. I read it. It's over an hour long if you wanted to read the whole article. Oh, my gosh. This journalist detailed copious research that A.J. Finn had been fabricating the entire story of his life, oh like gosh. how his character doesn't know what's real, like he's actually living it, this guy, Daniel Mallory. A lot of it related to deception in terms of securing people's sympathies, and then that affects his career and his personal relationships. A lot of what he claims about his life is not real. And then interviewing former colleagues, they said he's clever, careful, and then they even use the term ruthless deceptions. Whoa. Like this person on the inside is not the bubbly, gregarious, confident person he's calculated. On, yeah. the, on the talk shows. Huh. The reporter called an editor to discuss that had worked with Mallory, and the editor said, my God, with a laugh, I knew I'd get this call. I didn't know if it would be you or the FBI. <gasps> like they knew <laughs> working oh with this God. person that it was just a matter of time before what in the world he was actually doing was oh going to get found out. So thus becomes <laughs> the story of his deception. So he... Okay. Everything so I told was you was not true. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was like, so who is he? <laughs> yeah. I told you just to make sense of it. I told you sure, everything. He, he told said. me what he told them. Yeah. I've, we've yeah. all been the audience. We've all been through it now. We've all been abused yeah. <laughs> by yes. Mallory. Yeah. So uh, here we go. <laughs> Deception. Well, and I just wanted to bring you along in my research and being like, oh, no, of God, course. Yeah. It's the only way to, to now to I, feel I understand. Yeah. Now, now, of course, the, yeah. who is this man? Yeah. So on his application for his Oxford, I mean, you don't get much more gobstopping than that. I mean, good lord, <laughs> I lied. Uh, to you. We've never, yeah, we know. I, I thank you so much, but we've never encountered something like that before. Nobody knew, and I, as you're telling me through the episode, <laughs> I'm fully believing the story that you're giving to me. And then, just like everybody was when the the wool was uncovered, yeah. uh, I was absolutely floored. <laughs> the the thing that I found that was most surprising in one of our episodes was in the Cruella episode and did not expect at all to uncover this bizarre, mysterious sequel book that they will never turn into a movie. It's so it's just uneven and grotesque and insane for it to be coming from a Disney property, Cruella 101 Dalmatians. I, I... <laughs> Here's that as a child but <laughs> this this sequel insane to me so dogs are there one of the dalmatians gets adopted by the prime minister everyone's doing great and then this bizarre almost like m night Shyamalan, the happening thing happens where everything that's living except for dogs just falls asleep and goes into a stasis completely. Whoa, she's going high concept with <laughs> she it? She went real high concept. Whoa, dude, this is so, amazing. Somebody so then, make this move. <laughs> well, this yeah. is what I am talking about. Keep going, so, ruin so it the, for me. The, the dogs cannot be weakened. Also, they realize they don't get hungry. They're not thirsty. 
they also have telepathic powers, so the barking doesn't even matter anymore. They can communicate. They they have powers beyond that. They can open doors and operate machinery. It's so like in the time that this happens, which is only one night, they start like rechanging society, and the you know the dog is now the prime minister. <laughs> it was just crazy. Narrate the idea of of the narrator. Then take it becomes like self aware. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then dogs start reshaping reality in their image, and everybody's gone. And then just to <laughs> to add <laughs> to add icing on the cake, they start to realize they can fly. So <laughs> wherever you want to take that. There's a voice that speaks telepathically to all of them saying, be aware, look to the sky, be available at night, have access to the stars. And this is incredible. <laughs> Sirius, the lord of the dog star, which is a constellation, wants them to ascend to the heavens because of a inevitable nuclear war that's going to happen. Yes, and all of yes. the dogs will be forgotten. It's as if they will never have been there. Humans will not remember. They will not be missed. All of that stuff. Somebody the, has been listening to me at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs, however, choose the humans and agree to stay. And that's the end. And all is well. Man's best friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I think, so this comes out 11 years later. And this is in the height of the space race and the moon landings and oh start of the Cold War. You know, all that so stuff. So I think strategic that, with it. She's, she's very much. In on this. I can get in on this. So that the Disney will never position this property <laughs> to get in on this market as really high concept sci-fi multiverse psychedelic stuff. Um, that's that's what the people want. Yeah. Thank you so much. I want it. I want to see it. <laughs> make it. Make, make it. Make it. <laughs> Merge it with Guardians of the Galaxy or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm jealous. I, I I'm so and I'm so glad. Honestly that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know anything about that had we not done the show. Um, and so <laughs> right, I'm just yeah. happy to even know about it. It's deep in the bowels of research. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, moving on, the next thing, um, as for me as a creative, as a writer, this was probably my favorite moment from a creative standpoint in the show. We covered the Green Knight. We talked about how the screenplay is conceived around the main character breaking the five tasks of being a knight and that becoming the basic structure of what the film is. It became the key mm -hmm. that unlocked the entire meaning of the movie. And it affected me personally. I, I just, at the moment I saw the movie, the moment that we did this research, found that out, did the episode, I've been nonstop thinking about it. So, oh, wow. So here, here that is. And that's much of the film is what do my choices add up to? <laughs> and so I think you can draw, because in the poem, The Code of Knighthood and Chivalry, they specifically mention, and this is the first recorded use of the word pentangle, which was which is just a five-pointed star, but it's the symbol on Sir Gawain's shield. And it's 46 mm. lines of the poem are used to describe <laughs> this thing and what it means. Mm -hmm. Nothing else gets that much description. And so it's about the five values of chivalry that a knight has, generosity, chastity, friendship, courtesy, and piety. And it's loosely, mm. from what I could tell, in the movie, David Lowry takes this as sort of the five tasks he has to accomplish. And like the fox represents friendship and mm. the scavenger represents generosity and he fails all of them in the yes. movie. 
So that's yes. kind of interesting too that he's pulling. He fails every single one of them. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah so he's pulling all the five, the traditional five Absolutely tenets of being beautiful. a knight into that. Oh. I just wanted to bring that up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there it's so much go. more that's layered. The there's the key. Yeah, there's the key to the script. So you got this outline. Okay, he wants to be a knight. What are the five rules? How, how am I going to have him break every <laughs> single one? And the whole movie yep. being about how my choices have led me to this. Mm-hmm. That's so simple. <laughs> it's it's bizarre that's, that's, that's why it's so only, beautiful. Mm-hmm, that that's only the two stanzas. And then what the heck's the rest of the poem? Gosh. There's the but that all to say. Look, he found what was workable. He found something mm-hmm. with a, with that had somewhere to go. Uh, mm-hmm. th- what that's when you're doing something like this and you're dredging deep and you got to take what's pertinent and leave behind what's not. And sometimes it might mm-hmm. just be two lines buried in 101 stanzas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you or know, that's that, the modern that's the work. Story. That yeah. is the yeah. work of doing yeah. this and understanding what that means and then taking two lines and doing an entire di- deep dive into what in the world that could be. And there, mm-hmm. by the time you've done that, you've already done enough that could fit into a screenplay. But is it your story? And that's where you have to keep mm-hmm. doing these holes over and over again. Uh, yeah. I, I just wanted to highlight about going and taking just what you need and leaving the rest behind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So speaking of... Taking what you need. Yeah, it's one of those things that is also so subliminal and not even really necessary to understanding the story. But then when you see it overlaid over top, you're like, wow, this. It brings it together, man. It tightens it all <laughs> up. Like you certainly, and I went through, I watched the movie. I really enjoyed the movie. But when we, when we, un, when we uncovered that, that put it into a strict perspective and i went wow what an accomplishment <laughs> from a just a writing perspective yeah. beautiful hands you know hats off to that so <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that i saw we you know green knight very far deep in history and we found that it pulling from a lot of different historical things sometimes when we're talking about subjects i'll go off on a history tangent that doesn't really have anything <laughs> pertinent to the story, but if it makes sense or if it's just worth it, I'll put it in there. So this was one from a not as much listened to episode, Concrete Cowboy, mm-hmm. about cowboys in inner city Philadelphia. This was a piece of history that I just knew nothing about. In terms beyond the cowboys, just uh, horses in general. So the winner of the first Kentucky Derby ever in 1875 yeah. was a black man, Oliver Lewis. Really? Yeah. The sport oh, cool. was founded, or not founded, but was like helmed at the very least by African American men. So, oh, I had no idea. of the 15 jockeys of the first Kentucky Derby, 13 were African American. I had no idea. And African Americans won 15 of the first 28 derbies. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Why don't people know this? I, <laughs> Why yeah. is this not? Well, that was where you're talking about like, going on and and moving to the north to yeah. the northern cities and and keeping that it's like in terms of horse racing founding jockeys were young slaves who served as riders and trainers on southern plantations wow. you know they cleaned the stables fed and groomed the horses they established a bond with the horses that white jockeys could not there was a guy Isaac Burns Murphy who was called the black maestro he won 628 of his over 1,400 races. Oh, my God. Contracts were, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per season for their thing. He received, he was the highest paid jockey in the United States. He had a mansion in Lexington, oh owned racehorses in, what in real estate. What, what year? This is the late 1800s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, That's amazing. 
But because of the success and the prolificness of this as a business, there started to be more segregation, more pushing people out, more you know bribes to stop, et cetera. This is horrifying, but from 1921, so the first Kentucky Derby was in 1875, and like I said, 15 of the first 28 were won by African Americans. From 1921 to 2000, there were zero black jockeys at the Kentucky Derby. Oh my God. That is horrifying. Yeah. I was like, what are you about to say? (laughs) Like, like, uh, to hear that they're so dominant out of the gate. Yeah. That's their sport. Yeah. That's... Uh, criminal. That's bizarre. It's like that's yeah. not at all that's what not, it was. Yeah. What a distortion. One of the profiles of somebody who hopefully. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we cover societal things a lot over the show. That's one of the main reasons that we might pick up on something. And so, like when Watchmen came out, that was such a that was such an interesting story. The HBO Watchmen going into June nineteenth. Um, yeah, that every once in a while we'll hit up against some of the, one of the just something so shocking to learn that horse jockeys um, were were primarily almost exclusively black until the 1920s. And then there were none. It was completely yeah. taken over once it was like viable and successful. Um, it was absolutely shocking. Yeah. So those were just our cool tidbits that we thought people might have passed on. Like moments. Yeah. Worth spreading to you but we also have our top pick for episode that we think you should listen to for whatever reason we decide because we make the rules here (laughs) evan what is what is your episode and reason why people should listen to it hands down my episode for the year take a chance on this if you haven't already my favorite story flat out that I've found recently, especially this year, uh, doing the episode to help uh, introduce it to a bigger audience. I got to choose it. Uh, My Hero Academia, absolutely life-changing for me to uncover this mm-hmm. year. Uh, doing the episode, getting into manga, getting into that uh, that cultural bedrock, but then the marrying yeah. of American comic books. And given the, the climate of where we are with com- American comic books being stuck in like a kind of a echo chamber being stalled out a little bit this giving new new life and flavor to one of the most ubiquitous genres on the planet right now it's the most important story i found this year so that's my pick my hero academia very illuminating for me because i didn't know doodly about it (laughs) and then seeing how we got a lot of listener responses on it as well it seemed like maybe a to me (laughs) at least a far cry and then People dig it. So, it seemed yeah. to be like one of those things that's already there. You just don't realize it. You go to the store, it's going to be in Target. <laughs> there's a reason. And there's a there, given the reason that superheroes are so big right now, there's a reason why yeah. this is breaking through domestically. Um, but yeah, so ugh, love it. But yeah. Taylor, what was yours? Last year, we had made a statement about wanting to do more series. Mm-hmm. So we lived up to that and pulled out quite a few this year. Loved Shrek. Shrek. Of, <laughs> Shrek's I, I, I did want to make my episode the second part of our James Bond series, mm. mostly because I felt like it was so concise, but also so vast in terms of the time. And I guess both Evan and I really got a sense of like, oh, this is a property over decades and decades and the ebbs and flows. And it was, to me at oh, least, yeah. an interesting story on such a massive thing, the most movies of any series, you know, like 
it's the biggest it, movie franchise of all time, basically. And so to put the story of that material into context, to understand how it went f- from phase to phase, that episode, does, I, you're absolutely right, does a great job of trying to put this into proper context because it is so – there's so much history that it all just gets lost. I mean who, who has yeah. seen all the James Bond movies who are under you know 30, not – that many people, you know, it's yes, but no. But so it was, it was just something that yeah. illuminated such a big part of American cinema to me. I, I, I would totally agree with you. It's probably one of the, yeah. the most uh, impactful episodes we did this year in terms of just like being able to put a light on something that everybody knows something about, but not everything. It was also as far as what we wanted to do with series is. It's yeah. like series, if you're going to do a series, it's got to be on something big and James Bond is huge. And to be able to take, you know, every Wikipedia page of all of the 20 plus films, go through them all, <laughs> dilute them down, pick yeah. the key points that I thought formed a coherent narrative. Yeah, massive amount of work. Uh, so props, was, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> it was it was enjoyable, but I think also the outcome is something that people should listen to if yeah. they want to understand why people care at all about James Bond. It was meaningful because I found that the new released movie, No Time to Die, being really compelling and really mm-hmm. intimate James Bond movie. Um, so th- then we could make sense of it. Yeah. Why people liked it or didn't like it or. Yeah. Yeah. It really, that, it really yeah. helped uh, bring it all together. But looking forward, what is it are we doing, Taylor? What is it? So we know we have a great show. Isn't that right, audience? <laughs> uh, we pretty locked in on the content, the responses that we've been getting, what we're trying to do with it, the different angles we're taking on media. So where we can grow is in the amount of ears on such things. (laughs) Trying to grow that listenership, baby. So we have a favor to ask, a a holiday tiding, if you will. Look through our episode list and see if a title makes you think of another person. Send that title to them. That'll help us out immensely. You don't know how huge the return is on this grassroots person to person stuff really is it's really all the marketing right yeah if we have given you any value uh this year if you've enjoyed this show do us a little favor go through the episode list see if a title sparks a name and and send them that episode and see what they think of it uh it would mean the world to us so looking forward that's what we're trying to do we're trying to grow this audience any way that you guys can help us uh, we'll be forever indebted Especially if one of your friends or people that you know don't listen to podcasts. Oh, yes. And you, if you're listening to us, you're a podcast fiend. So <laughs> this could be a good introduction. You could say, They could say, what's a podcast? And you could say this, and hopefully they'll get hooked from there. Yeah, we would really, really appreciate it. But for now, that wraps up our 2021. Woo! Gosh. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when we get to this point in the year is to, again, go on that website and look at all the cover art, look at all the topics that we've covered. It's so colorful. It's so immense. Uh, and, it, and it really does a great job of demystifying the creative process uh, and why things are coming to screens when they do. Uh, I, I have such a blast doing the show. Um, oh, I have yeah. a blast doing this with you, Taylor. So um, I'm looking on to making it as big and as bright as it can get. <laughs> Spread the word. Love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you in the new year. Bye.